Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everyone. Spring training is underway, and pitchers have started their routines to get ready for the upcoming season. Some pitchers have already been shut down after feeling a little something, and others are working through some typical soreness. That's just how the spring goes everywhere. There is a third group, ones that feel something more than soreness but haven't told anyone yet. And they are the ones that, when it finally becomes public that they're hurt, the ones that make me think about Christian Parker. Christian Parker is the cautionary tale for every pitcher in spring training, the reminder that things can look great for a while but turn quickly the other way. In 2001, Parker was a 25-year-old right-hander, a fourth-round pick out of Notre Dame by the Expos. He had been traded to the Yankees after the 1999 season in exchange for Hideki Arabu, a deal that included Ted Lilly and Jake Westbrook, who both had long big league careers. Parker earned his spring training invitation with a terrific season at AA Norwich, going 14-6 with a 3.13 ERA in 2000. He led the Eastern League with 204 innings pitched. Even major league pitchers don't throw that many innings these days, let alone minor league prospects. In March of 2001, Parker emerged through a sea of young bucks and has-beens to become the fifth starter for a Yankees team that had won three straight World Series championships and featured a rotation fronted by Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit, Mike Messina, and El Duque Orlando Hernandez. Parker's hold on the fifth spot in the rotation lasted one turn. In his Major League debut, April 6, 2001, he got rocked for eight hits and seven runs in three-plus innings. Before he could make another turn, Parker was diagnosed with a shoulder injury that eventually required surgery, and he never pitched in the major leagues again. Parker, as we would later find out, pitched through the injury in the spring in order to make the team. How did he feel about pushing through and making the opening day roster? About his one and only major league start? About the rehab process that never got him back to the majors? Here is my conversation with Christian Parker. Christian, the first thing I want to ask you is, when you think about April 6th, 2001 you're 25 years old it's your major league debut what do you think of what what memories come right back to you um you know what it's interesting because the day that i pitched which would have been in april there um at that point things were settled in my mind right like i uh, i passed all the the issues that a young player would have in terms of wondering if they fit or wondering if they were good enough to compete at that level. That that energy occurred much earlier in spring training that year. But for that night, I you know, as as much as, you know, you'll kinda of come to find out, I knew I wasn't hundred percent healthy, but I felt fully confident that I was prepared and, you know, could could compete at that level. And then just the experience as a whole, right? Like I think it was everything that it was supposed to be. Um, it was exciting yet I felt comfortable in my own skin at, at being there. So all in all, I look back now and, you know, nothing but positive feelings, man. It was an, it was an amazing time. 
Yeah, I want to let I want to remind you and remind everybody listening what this actually was all about. The Yankees had won four World Series in the last five years, including three in a row. Uh, their starting rotation to open the 2001 season is Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit, Mike Messina, Orlando Hernandez, El Duque, and you, Christian Parker. <laughs> you know, five. Those are the starting five. I mean that. That that just sounds kind of cool, doesn't it? Well, sure. I mean, I don't I don't know if you know eighteen years removed if anybody really cares. I mean, at the time, <laughs> it was a huge deal, right? Yeah. And it was something that I was very proud of and and knew that I had deserved and earned. Ultimately, it didn't pan out like everybody wishes it would have, and you know that I had a long career. I mean, things happen, right? But mm-hmm. I look back now, and I and I think it was an awesome accomplishment and it was an experience that once again, like I told you, Sweeney, like, you know, nothing but tremendous feelings that I have because those type of things happen and you know, how you deal with them because you got a whole lot of life left. Right. Mm -hmm. So those, that's just a part of the, of the whole story. So take me back to spring training. You had been, uh, come over to the Yankees a year before, uh, in a trade and, I want you to talk to me about how that spring training went because there were a lot of other names, a lot of more well-known names that were trying to vie for that extra spot. I mean, Doc Gooden was in spring training. He ended up retiring a couple of weeks in. The Yankees brought Sid Fernandez in for yeah, a look, for you know, and uh, uh, Ted Lilly and Randy Keesler had had a little bit of a time and were maybe maybe thought to be a little higher in the pecking order, but as spring training wore on, you were starting to stand out more. What do you remember about that whole ride and some of those names I just mentioned? Yeah, um, so it was interesting, right? Like when I got traded, I was an expo at the time, and I had come over as a player to be named. Um, and I remember um, having to make the move in spring training prior to the 2000 season. Mm-hmm. And I'd been up at AAA with the Expos, and then I, I got traded, so I ended up driving from, you know, what it was down at West Palm up to Tampa, and I remember going to meet with Mark Newman and just kind of figuring out, hey, what, what's this going to look like? And they, they wanted me to start. Um, and so to me, I took that trade as kind of rejuvenating. You know, anytime you get traded, you feel like the people that get you want you. Um, so I took, once again, I took that as a, as a, as a positive step, even though they put me back in double A and started. And I, and I mentioned that to you because I'm, I'm, I'm comparing what my feelings were in spring training. That 2000 season in Norwich was easily the best year of my career. Mm -hmm. And I made some significant adjustments pitching wise and knew midway through that season that I was good enough to compete in the big leagues. I even felt like I was going to get having an opportunity to get called up at the tail end of that year, just just based on the fact that in my hard mind, I knew that I could compete, just didn't know what the roster or what the, what the feelings of the Yankees or if, if there was a need, right? But I knew I could be there. So when I went into spring training in 2001, you know, there was a lot of noise, and I knew I wasn't on the radar, and I knew that there was other people that they had brought in to try to fill that void. But still, in my mind, felt like I had a chance the entire time, Um, which is probably unknown because, you know, people didn't really 
you know, know anything about me at that time. But from the day one, you know, I felt very confident that, you know, I had an equal chance as everyone else that was vying for that spot. What are some of your early memories of that spring training? Maybe before things kind of, um, you know, maybe before the attention came your way a little bit, you're walking in a room, there's Derek Jeter, there's Mariano Rivera, there's Roger Clemens, there's Tino Martinez, Paul O'Neill. Um, what are your kind of your early uh, memories of, of camp and how it started? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was, once again, you know, you're, you're in a Yankees clubhouse, right, where they bring in, you know, a lot of old vets and, you know, you're with a, a successful group anyway. Um, none of that overwhelmed me. I thought it was a very cool thing to be a part of it all. But once again, I had generated the confidence to know I belong. And some of the intangible things, you know, some of the things that you don't anticipate as far as forming relationships with some of the guys and just being in the clubhouse, which is so different than, you know, what people see on the outside through the media you know, that whole environment was just a really cool experience that's really, you know, hard to communicate because, you know, it's just so few and far between they get to be a part of that. But it was an awesome experience for me, and the clubhouse was awesome, and all those guys that you mentioned, right? Like, you know, once, you're, once you cross the white lines and you're in it together, you're playing baseball. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I remember. Um, some of the camaraderie, you know, even though it's brief, and for me – those memories were probably a lot more significant in those relationships than I were to them. Right. Cause I was there <laughs> for such a short amount of time. Yeah. But as I look back and reflect, those experiences were just, you know, something that I'll hold on to forever can pass on to my kids. Right. It was just, it was just, a, it was just a cool situation period. The 2000 season that you've been talking about in Norwich was, was really good for one reason that stands out to me. The, the workload you put in, you started 28 games and you threw 204 innings. There are not people who throw 200 innings in a major league season anymore. You did it in the Eastern League in double-A ball, including a stretch where you threw 40 scoreless innings, which at the time and it was an Eastern League record. I don't even I don't know if that still stands, um, but you had such a successful year and you had never been a triple-A. So was there a part of you that wasn't maybe sure that you were in the mix because you hadn't taken that next step and you were, you'd spent the whole year at double A? You know what? It it was more about, so the adjustments that I had made, you know, I, my, my stuff, my, my angle that I was throwing with some of the mechanical adjustments that I had made kind of put me over the top. I, I, I always knew how to pitch, but I had the stuff to coincide with it. Um, I could pitch both sides of the plate. I started cutting it um, so I could get lefties out very regularly, and I would throw it hard enough, and my off-speed stuff was good enough. And I, and so the whole AAA thing didn't bother me. I knew I could get guys out, period, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and the, the, the amount of innings, that was just a product of the fact that back then, you know, they let you extend pitch counts. And, you know, I had such efficient innings on a regular basis that I was not in that amount. You know, never in in that amount of trouble, right? So if you're efficient early on and you're having success and those later innings come easy for you, and that just happened on a regular basis. Uh, so the AAA thing doesn't, didn't, didn't affect me in any, in any way whatsoever. I knew, you know, I knew I could get the best hitters out. The guys that I've talked to that remember your time coming up in the organization, 
uh, the things that they remember that you were a big workout guy in the, in the, in the gym and you had a bulldog mentality in the mound. And when I asked Marcus Timms, who's now the Yankees hitting coach, what he remembers about you, he started to laugh. He said, there was a game at Bowie where you got hit in the head by a line drive <laughs> and you didn't leave the game. You pitched 10 innings in this ball game. Didn't allow a run. Do you remember this game? Oh, yeah. It's funny that you'd ask Marcus that. Yeah, no, I didn't get hit by a ball. I actually broke a guy's bat, and the top end barrel into the bat came flipping back towards home, and it hit me in the head. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't spite me. It just, like, hit me flush. Like, it didn't draw blood or anything, but <laughs> it hit me. And I think this was, like, you know, sixth, seventh inning, right? And I was going along great. I don't think I'd given up a run. And, you know, trainer comes out, goes sit down, and, you know, told him I was fine, right? I ended up pitching 10 because I was under pitch count. And, yeah, very memorable game, though. Funny that he remembers that. Oh, wow. So, I mean, he did not tell me it was the bat. So, I'm thinking, you know, 95 miles an hour off the bat. Still, I mean, I'm not trying to minimize it, but, you know, getting hit by anything and just saying, yeah, I'm okay, I'm fine, I can stay in, that's um, th- that's basically the mentality you always had out there, huh? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's true. You know, I, I, you know, everybody that, that's up at that level competes, right? Like, but certainly I know that how I choose to go about my business and what I was doing. I mean, I, I was there to pitch to win baseball games, bottom line. Um, and I think true when I look back, probably the unfortunate part to me is I never missed a start my entire career until I ended up getting injured in 2001, right? So I had, every time it was my turn, I hadn't had an injury since I was born, right? Never missed a start, little league, high school, college, pro ball, up until that point. And then, obviously, when the injury occurred, I never, you know, regained what I was capable of prior to the injury um, because that's how I did it. And I love to compete when it was my turn, and that's how I went at it. So if my memory is right, it wasn't until like the last maybe two weeks of spring training where maybe the attention got focused on you more. You had been pitching pretty well. As I said, the Yankees had gotten through spring training and were still searching for um, for the fifth spot. And Doc Gooden announced his retirement a couple of weeks into spring training. Uh, Sid Fernandez wasn't quite there. He wasn't the old Sid Fernandez everybody remembers. Some of the other guys that you know would go on, to, like Ted Lilly went on to have a really good career, um, wasn't quite able to to win that spot. What do you remember about those last couple of weeks and and how you how you really started to make that push for the rotation spot? Um, so yeah, some things start changing right once once you have the opportunity, like. Specifically for me, early in spring training, I was caddying for Pettit, right? Like, he would start, and then I would always throw the subsequent number of innings. You know, he threw two, I threw two, he threw three, I threw three, until um, they named me the starter um, for the against Texas Rangers at spring training, mm-hmm. which was a night game at Legends, right? Yep. So that was a big deal, and I threw the ball very well. And that probably is what catapulted me into more media attention than I had had prior to that because I had success in the limelight. And then things changed, right, because more reporters talked to you. And then when 
it's your turn to throw, uh, you know, your bullpen session instead of throwing with guys that are in the minor leagues with you. I was throwing at the same time that, that, you know, Rocket was and Pettit was and Mike was, right? Like all the timing of it all changed, right? Which was, which was a kind of cool transition as well. And then I started realizing, you know, this is kind of, I kind of have a chance at this, right? And, and I still had a ton of confidence. So those were some of the cool changes. Do you remember Joe Torrey and Mel Stottlemyre telling you you won the job? Oh, very much so, yeah. That was a very cool day. Um, I, I feel like I had a good idea what was going to happen. I think there was some leaks, you know, some rumblings about what was going to occur. But ultimately, um, I don't remember who came and got me, but somebody came and got me and said that Mel and Joe wanted to talk to me in their office, and I just assumed at that point that that was what it was for. And sure enough, it was a very brief conversation. Uh, but they were just letting me know that I was going north with the club and uh, that they were proud of me and that, you know, all the things that, that they would say. And that was a, it was, a, it was a very cool day. This is kind of part of the spoiler part of it. I mean, we're talking because you made one start, you got hurt, and you were never able to make it back. But I'm curious, at this point of the spring, you've been told you're the fifth starter. Had you been feeling stuff in, in the shoulder leading up to that point? Were you pitching through something because you saw this opportunity, because you had this mentality that you get hit in the head by something, you're going to stay in the game? Are you feeling something in your shoulder that you're just not ready to give into at that point? For sure. Yeah, no, no. I got hurt in the Clearwater game against the Phillies. Mm-hmm. And I don't exactly know what it was. It wasn't a particular pitch, but it was something that I knew – wasn't right in my shoulder yet I wasn't willing to feel like it was a serious injury because you know you you know my arm hurt my entire career right mm-hmm. and so it kind of goes in waves of is it serious is it not is it something worth checking out but obviously at that point I wasn't going to say a word <laughs> um, I mean I, and, and nor nor I don't think anybody would have right it was it, I didn't know if, number one, if it was affecting my stuff, I knew how I felt, which wasn't good. And I knew how I warmed up every day and the consistency at which I did. And obviously I look back now and look at even, I, I quite honestly, I haven't even looked at the game that I pitched ever in, in, for, no, for no other reason. But I feel like my stuff that, because when I pitched against the Twins in the last start of spring training, I mean, I was throwing mud, right? <laughs> And not because I knew what the radar gun said, but because I knew what the hitters were doing, and I knew the life that I had when I was pitching, and I knew something was wrong. But I also didn't think that it was something that was going to be wrong forever. I thought that it was it was a something that had happened to my shoulder that I was going to be able to recover from in hopefully a short amount of time. And obviously that wasn't the case, but I didn't know that then. So when I got told I was making the big club, I still felt very strongly that. I was going to recover from this and I was going to get back to business as usual within a week or two or a start or two. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. The night you pitched was a Friday night. It was against the Blue Jays. Second series It's the fourth game of the year. It's April 6th. It's a cold night. The It's 49 degrees at game time and only getting worse. Um, what are you feeling like as you go to the mound that night? You know, the combination of the adrenaline of your first big league start versus 
what's going on in your shoulder? Yeah, you know what? I think I was. I think I mean I was ready mentally. I I feel like some of those memories that are serving me now. Right, this is a long time ago, but hmm. um, I, I I know that I guess I, I felt I was a little bit. Um, I was disappointed that I wasn't bringing what I had to offer to the table. Right. Not like I was excited. I mean, I, I felt like I could battle through it and have success in spite of it. And I was mentally feeling like that was a possibility, but I knew something was wrong and I was just willing to see, you know, to, 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 to let it play out and see if I could overcome it for a start or two or three or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen, man. I mean, I think, I think my velocity had gone down substantially and certainly my life and all the things that it took me to be successful, I was not capable of. And the results obviously was a product of all of that, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but I was ready to go and it was exciting and it was a, you know, like I said, it was a great experience. I, you know, in hindsight, even the opportunity to have my full stuff to have that and do it again. That's what I wish. Whatever happened that after that would have been fine. Um, I guess I'm disappointed in the fact that I didn't bring what I had to offer to the table because I wasn't physically there. So that first inning, describing everything that you're talking about that you bring into the table there, you're actually a pitch away from getting out of this. You're seven pitches in. You've got two outs and a runner at second. Okay, all you have to do is get out Carlos Delgado. <laughs> what happened? Me, I, I have a great memory with 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 some of that stuff. I don't necessarily remember, okay. other than other than I remember. I certainly remember the pitch that I threw that he hit out. Yeah, that that's, was that, that's what I'm getting. At. Middle, yeah. yeah, that was middle down, and you know, once again, you know, you, you throw the ball middle down to him. That's like middle into anybody else, and he hit it a long, 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 long way. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what I remember, and it wasn't a good pitch. The uh, the second inning, you're one two three. You gave up a couple of runs in the first inning. Homer to Carlos Delgado. You're not alone in that. You get through the second inning, one two three. Now, again, I know it's a long time ago. As, as you're going back out there, are you feeling like something's wrong, really, or are it's you're just trying to get through it? I mean, do you remember what you're physically feeling at that point? Yeah, no, I remember the whole game not being able to execute pitches like I needed to and everything that I was accomplishing and getting people out was just a product of me fighting through it. Right. Um, I was a big command guy, right? Like I could throw sinker both sides of the plate. I could cut it. I could throw my breaking ball where I needed to, you know, I could do all the things that I needed to do to get, to get it done. And I just couldn't do it. And everything I was doing was a grind. Mm. Um, and I was still going to go out there and compete no matter what. Right. Um, and even some of the, some of the results that you're telling me now, I don't, I don't necessarily remember. I didn't remember the second inning. Um, and I don't remember how the third inning ended up in bowling other than I think I was out there for a very long time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just battling. Yeah. There were two runs crossed in that inning. Uh, you struck out Tony Bautista to uh, the end of the inning. I always remember him. He's the guy with the crazy open batting stance. Like he was actually sure. facing you uh, when you're, when you're on the mound. Uh, and you came back out for the fourth. Jose Cruz Jr. hit a two-run homer. 
Uh, Ryan Friel hit a single, and at that point, that's you know, there's nobody out in the fourth inning. You've given up eight hits and seven runs, and they came to get you. Um, do you remember being on the mound when they came to get you, and, and what was happening? What you felt like? Yeah, I mean, I knew that it was time, right? Like, I just didn't, I just didn't have um, what was my stuff, and. You know, I, I knew I couldn't execute. And, and and even when I struck out Bautista, like I remember that fairly specifically, I, I struck him out on a fastball up, mm-hmm. which, you know, I was a sinker ball guy. I never struck out anybody with <laughs> elevated fastball, right? Like I just lacked the command and I wasn't getting people out like I was accustomed to getting people out because I wasn't able to execute pitches like I had prior. So things were all over the place. And at that time I felt like that, you know, Whatever had happened physically, which I didn't know yet, had taken its toll by then. And, it, you know, it was time. So I wasn't surprised. So when did you find out? Did Was it the next day? Was it a couple of days later? I mean, what what was going on with your shoulder? And who did you tell? And how did how did it get to the point where where you were headed to the DL? Um, so the next, we went to Kansas City. And so I made the trip. And then I think within the first day or two, um, you know, I had gone to the trainer a couple days thereafter and probably spoke up at that point just to say something's not right. And then they decided to send me to Tampa. And I didn't, I didn't know, you know, what the extent of my injury was until after the MRI, which happened, you know, sometime after I'd already been uh, put on the DL and taken to Tampa and then obviously had surgery. Um, but I got to make it the, the trip with the team to Kansas City. That was that was once again a, a good experience, and I ended up flying straight to Tampa from there. Um, and then the rest is history, right? You just kind of yeah. go through that whole medical process of evaluation, surgery, and then rehab. And so I was down in Tampa for you know quite a while trying to get it back right. And um, yeah, that's what I remember. So, what was the extent of the damage in your shoulder? What had you done to it? Um, so as far as the medical piece was, I mean, it's that torn rotator, torn labrum. And then I had this, you know, like this, whatever they call slap lesion or this kind of like rupture on the glenoid of my shoulder bone. I I think it was all, um, related to the same thing, right? Your typical shoulder injury from a throwing athlete that throws hard over a long period of time. And I think something like I said in that Clearwater game, put it over the top, and then they uncovered that when they looked. And I think it was, quite honestly, you know, just wear and tear over a long throwing career, right? I wasn't that old at the time, but, mm-hmm. you know, probably everybody's shoulder that's pitching that hard and at that level has some of that amount in it. So that's what they found out, and they knew it needed to get fixed because we tried to rehab it a little bit prior to surgery, and, you know, that that internal feeling in my shoulder just never went away Mm -hmm. and I think what it did to me more than anything was it just took away you know my ability to command and that's that was everything to me you you made it back to pitching professionally you played uh, a lot of triple a and worked your way up a little bit from the rehab 2003 2004 2005 you spent a lot of time at triple a did you ever feel like yourself in any of those couple of years there um, close, right? Like, so when I was pitching AAA 
with Columbus, you know, that first year back, I was improving, um, had some success, then went to the Expos and Rockies. A lot of that, some of that's big. I mean, I got to put it all yeah. the dateline together. But nonetheless, I, I got back close to where I was before. But my ability to do it was not just natural. Right before, everything was easy, right? Mm-hmm. My movement, my command, my mechanics, everything that I needed to do that I had developed was easy. And then at post-surgery... I just was never able to command and feel what I needed to feel to do it at that level. My velocity came back. Like, I could hit the radar gun the same, but that was, you know, it didn't matter, right? I couldn't sink it, cut it at the, 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 the high level of command that was necessary to get those hitters out. And that's what I never regained. And that's ultimately why I never had the success that I needed to make it back up. And then ultimately, I think what one thing that really hurt me was the fact that once I was with the Rockies and then I got put in AAA and I was pitching in Colorado Springs in the altitude, yeah. the altitude really exposed what I was incapable of doing. At the end of that 05 season at Colorado Springs, is it your decision to finally walk away or did you just not get any more offers to come back that you, that you were comfortable with? Yeah, a combination of... of a lot of things personal. Should I try again? How was I feeling? Right? Like I felt like, you know, if I had an opportunity that wasn't in altitude that my, I, I, you know, my recovery still was possible. Um, because I always knew how to get guys out. And I, you know, from a, from a mental standpoint, I still had all of that. It was about getting my stuff back to where it mattered. Um, and at that time, you know, I had been at it a while, and it was like, do I still want to try to go back out there again? And so it was kind of like I was, I was not getting um, enough offers that made it make sense. And, you know, you coincide that with where I was at in life, and it was just time. Yeah. Mostly my decision, right? But I, but I, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, you know, it's not like people were chomping at the bit to sign Christian Parker. What was the hardest part about the road back? I mean, what was, I mean, you're a AAA, you're so close. You'd been to the big leagues with the New York Yankees. Now here you are a AAA for a couple of different organizations just trying to fight for a chance to get back. What was the hardest part about, about the road back or trying to, trying to find the road back? Yeah, just, just the grind of it, right? The, the fact that, that, you know, comparing what I knew I was capable of versus what I was bringing to the table. And the fact that, you know, you're standing up against even triple haters at the time where you knew that you could get guys out with your stuff prior to, and now you just, well, I just wasn't equipped with what I needed to get that done. And I could try to figure out other ways, but I just didn't have what was necessary. And just the overall grind of it, right? The ups and downs. Um, Cause you know, at that point I was making decent money you know, I had big league time, so none of that even really mattered, right? If I was going to do it, I was going to compete, and I was going to try to compete at the highest level, which is what I, you know, that's, that's just how that's just how my life's gone. So none of that other stuff mattered. I was fine. It was more just the disappointing fact that I wasn't capable of competing at the level that I knew I was, and so that, from a just a psychology standpoint, was hard. And I remember that being the most disappointing part is just internally within myself. It didn't matter what anybody else thought. It was just, hey, 
you know what? I want to be able to do this. Unfortunately, physically, I just can't do it. And just overcoming that, that, that was what was challenging. You were pitching at a time, as we talked about, when innings limits weren't what they are now. Pitch counts aren't what they are now. Do you wish you had them? Go looking back now and, and recognizing that the workload that you were put through probably had a great deal to do with the shoulder injury that you suffered? Yeah, I mean potentially. I, I, I don't know if I would attribute it to that. I, I don't I don't know what um I don't know what really contributed to why I got injured at that time. I mean I think there's a lot of different variables that people will never know. Um, but no, not necessarily. I mean, I, I guess I, I mean, I, I think the pitch counts, especially for, you know, youth pitching today, I think they're important, but I don't necessarily think in hindsight, I would say, I wish I, I mean, I remember pitching in when I was 12 years old, 12 years old and throwing 150 pitches in the game, right? <laughs> yeah. it never happened today. Yeah. Maybe that led to it. Right. But I don't, I don't look back now and wish that that had been implemented. It just was unknown. And I'm not, not here to blame anybody. You've been in the real world since 2006. What have you been doing, and uh, and how much do you miss the the other part of your life? Um, great question. Um, you know, I was one of those guys that that didn't live and breathe baseball. Right, like I grew up, had a ton of success academically. I went to Notre Dame. I knew that once my baseball career was over, I'd figure it out. Right, so I played for ten you know, whatever it was, 10 years, and uh, got done with the game and, you know, had to figure out something else to do. And fortunately for me, I've adapted quite well. Um, I'm married with four kids, and I've been um, working for, you know, a large HR outsourcing company, Paychex, which is actually corporate in Rochester, New York. Um, So I've done that in my career, been highly successful, provided for my family, and just continue on. And... You know, quite honestly, look at that as a chapter. It was an awesome chapter, uh, but life goes on. And I found other ways and means to compete and, um, you know, be successful. And so that's really worked out for me. So I'm very blessed. We've um, we've talked about that that game, your your one game, your first game, your last game. and And walking off had a disappointing result to it. What's the one best memory of that game? You know, of everything, the result of the game was was not a good one. What happened afterward derailed your career. If I asked you about the three innings that you pitched that night, what's the best memory of that night for you? Gosh, there's probably more than one, right? As far as like really, like I, I remember specifically walking to the outfield with Mel and feeling like that guy made the choice to have me in the rotation and walked with confidence knowing that I belong there and what that feeling was like is probably easily number one. You know, that leadership and that just not needing to say anything but knowing that, yeah, we're going to walk out and we're going to get loose and we're going to compete tonight and what that feeling like to me was, was something I'll never forget, right? And then... I think secondary to that is, you know, obviously the results were not what I wanted them to be, but the reception from the Yankee fan walking off after I got taken out, you know, that was loud and probably not necessarily appropriate for the results, (laughs) but that's how they are. And, you know, that felt good as well. 
Do you still watch the game? Do you like the game? Absolutely. Oh no, no, no. I I watch the game. I I still deal in the game. I don't I don't necessarily you know coach teams. My kids are are little league players, and so I hang around it, and I help, and I help develop, and I help uh, you know improve everything from all parts of the game in terms of you know however much I can participate. Um, still follow it. I don't watch a ton of games on TV. I've seen plenty of them in my life. Watch postseason, right? I, I, I still pay attention for sure. So you were 25 when you made the team. You're 43 now. What would what would 43-year-old you want to tell 25-year-old you when he felt that little pain in Clearwater that day? Yeah, you know what? I look back now and I probably, based on the situation, would have never done anything different because I – I don't think it mattered, right? I think the injury had already occurred. Yeah. Would there have been some things differently that I might have done? Like just rehab, you know, everything's hindsight. As far as the path I took, I don't know. My willingness to compete and try to overcome it was, you know, everything that I knew what to do and how to do it, right? Um, certainly me having spoken about it earlier, I don't think it changes a thing, right? So I guess I look back now just proud of how I went about it and proud of how I handled myself. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, I ended up could not being a, I, I couldn't, I couldn't hold up physically to be able to have a long-term career. And you know what? I've had to deal with that in my mind for a long period of time. And I'm very comfortable with looking back and knowing what happened. Christian Parker has no regrets about a big league career that lasted only one game, but I still think of him as the cautionary tale that I mentioned at the top. The guy who doesn't tell the coaches or the trainers he's hurting because he can smell a chance at making the major leagues. The dream is so powerful and intoxicating, it keeps a person from using his better judgment. Christian Parker wasn't the first person to fall victim there, and he certainly won't be the last. My thanks to Christian for sharing his story with me. If you like what you've heard here, please go back and check out the archive at radio.com to hear some past episodes of 30 with Murdy. You can go back to last year and check out some of my chats with Hall of Famers, Mike Messina, Mariano Rivera, and Derek Jeter, and many others. Find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts, and be sure to subscribe and review and all that jazz. And until next time, thank you for listening. I'm Sweeney Murdy. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law.